Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Cersei campus, text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus, and you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to 88000. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. Amen. So thankful for all of you being in the house today. Would you do me one favor and put your hands together for my dad today? He is here with us. I want him to feel really welcome. Best dad in the world, best pawpaw in the world. He believed in the belt too, y'all. Um, I, I, I never got it. I was too busy praying. But my sister, boy, she got it. I just learned from watching her. I didn't want any of that. That's true, isn't it, Dad? <laughs> Amen. When you came in today, you were handed a communion cup, and we're going to take communion in just a few minutes. I'm going to have more of a conversation with you this morning than a sermon um, and if you've already taken your communion, uh, we're going to give you another one. So you're, you're going to double dip because I want you to be able to participate with us. Um, if you are watching online, I want you to be able to go to your kitchen and put together some type of communion. Not a big stickler on that. So find some bread, find some juice because I want you to join us. And so at the end of today's message, we're going to take communion together, and I want you guys to be prepared for that as well. I want to um, talk today about communion, and I want to use an old story to talk about it. Um, And then I'll segue into the New Testament, but I'm going to start in the Old Testament. When I think about communion and I think about having an invitation to the seat, to, or a seat to the table. Um, a lot of good things come to my mind in terms of just uh, my, my own life. I, I think of, of tables uh, that all of us have in our home, and they always come with great mem- memory. They, they come with uh, sustenance. You know, they, uh, we've laughed at those tables. We have put up with the crazy uncle at those tables. We've all had family dynamics. We've had great conversation. We've had great food. Uh, There's just a lot of things that transpire there. It's almost a sacred part of our house. Um, Just to get together and to catch up and to do it over over, uh, food and just to enjoy um, the pleasure of being together. And so today I'm going to talk about two invitations to the table and what that means for us. I'm going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, and the story I'm going to tell today is split by five chapters. We get the early part and we get the latter part, and so um, I am going to try to narrate this just a little bit as to what's transpiring, but we are going to talk about a guy today that a lot of you probably know just from your Bible study and whatnot. This guy's name is Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is... Jonathan's son, and Jonathan was Saul's son, so Saul is the grandfather of Mephibosheth. Now, as you know, Jonathan and David were very close, very good good friends, and what has happened, Saul and Jonathan have both been killed in the same battle, same day, 
And what was normal in that day and time was to then find the rest of the king's family and kill them. Because what you didn't want to do is someone 20 years later seeking revenge on you and hunting you down. So you just, the day that you killed the king, you killed his family. So that you could put that whole scenario in your rear view and not even worry about it. And that's what's happening here in 2 Samuel. So in chapter 4, verse 4, we get a sneak peek into the panic that is taking place. And I, I, I want to read, read this to you. It says, she made haste to flee, and he fell and became lame. Okay, now let's just add a little bit more to, to that and add, add some depth. You got to imagine these guys think that their lives are in jeopardy. So the, the nanny was gathering things up, trying to get out as quickly to uh, somebody who was going to help them escape and save their lives. And while she's doing that, while she's gathering and gathering him up, something happens. We don't know it, uh, the, the details of it, but something happens. Either she stumbles, drops him, he's running, falls, something. But the fall is so bad that it cripples him for the rest of his life. Now, obviously, this was probably something that modern medicine could fix in a surgery, but in that day and time, it was permanent. It was something to be dealt with from that moment on. And I want us to know on the forefront of this little talk is that from this point forward, he depended upon other people. So there's something in that. There's something in us. We like our independence we don't like having to grasp onto other people, um, but that's exactly what, what was happening here. Now, this makes two questions boil to the surface, okay? The first one is this, for those of us here today. Who or what have you dropped that was important? What has transpired in your life that you knew was important uh, a family mem member, a circumstance, and something happened. Maybe it was in the middle of panic. Something transpired, and you too let your hands open, and the thing that you were supposed to protect and hold on to fell and became permanently damaged from it. But it also flips the coin, and it makes us ask this, this question is, how many of you are in this room today and you're hurt because you were the one to get dropped. So your story includes that you were the victim, not the volunteer. And somehow in your life, a parent, a situation, a spouse, a friend, somebody who was responsible for your heart dropped you. And there was something from that day forward that became lame inside of you. It's like the situation split time for you and everything happened either before or after you got dropped. This is where Mephibosheth is. And it's where a lot, possibly, of you are. In this place where you feel the guilt of having dropped something important. Or you feel the angst of how life could have been different for you had the person responsible for you would have held on a little bit tighter. Then we go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I want to preface this by saying 
This is a time in David's life, this story that we're about to hear here, is a story about him starting to reflect. you got to realize where David's at. David's a great king. He's embraced kingship. He's, he's not green. He um, understands what's going on. He's very comfortable in his shoes. He's a famed king. He's a wealthy king. Uh, he's well-received. Uh, he is established, and all those other things that I could throw in there. And because of this establishment and experience, he is now to this place where he is turning outwardly and starting to reflect, not on just his own journey, but on how, how he can impact somebody else's journey. All right, so let's pick up here. Verse 1, chapter 9, 2 Samuel. David said, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Okay, now one thing I want to point out here is that another translation goes ahead and puts in here God's kindness. And I think that's very important. So he's saying, who's left in the house of Saul that I can show God's kindness to? And there was a servant of Saul's named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at, at your service. Verse 3, the king said, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba says to him, there is still a son of Jonathan. I mean, think about how this, this must have created excitement in his heart. Because Jonathan's the one that he's connected to. He said, there's still a son of Jonathan and then he follows that by saying he is lame in both his feet. Now watch this, verse 4. Where is he? And the king said, he's at the house of Makir, son of a mill in Lodabar. And King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of a mill. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, at your service. And he said, hey, do not be afraid. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And watch, you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down, this is important, and he says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I want to just talk about the power that's in these verses for just a few moments, and then we're going to break bread together. In verse 3, David is having a reflective moment, and he says, Who is left in Jonathan's house that I can show the kindness of God to? And I think this is important because he's missing his friend, it's, it's a reflective state. It's an outward state. It's one that says, I've got a good thing going, and I just want to help somebody. And in so doing, he wants to show not just kindness, God's kindness. And the one thing that jumps out to me this morning is, is this. It's very difficult to give away what you do not have. So David is wanting to show the kindness of God. Why? Because he's been given it. When you look over David's life, you can see many, many times, had it not been for the hand of God on him, things would have turned the other way. 
with a bear, with a lion, with Goliath, with Bathsheba, with, with his, his, his enemies. All kinds of ways that the Lord said, I'm going to forgive you and we're going to move on. My hand is going to be on you. And so David has experienced the kindness of God. And what I love about this is, and what I think this relates to the church about, is that we too can be in a place where we can show the kindness of God. There are so many things happening culturally, and I don't want to preach a message about that right now, but I will tell you this, what the world needs is the kindness of God. What, what friends need, what our homes need, what our children need to see is the kindness of God. It says, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to treat you well. Maybe not because I would do it, but because God has given it to me and I'm going to give it away. It's really a beautiful moment to hear him say, I just want to show the kindness of God to somebody. In verse 3 as, as well, Ziba says, listen, Jonathan has a son, but then he comes off right after and says, both his feet are crippled. Okay? Now, I want to get really strong here for just a moment. I don't want you to be offended by this, but I want to just be as truthful as I can today. There may be a lot of people in here who you've been described before by your issue. Maybe, maybe your own thought life leads every punchline with something that happened to you that was not a good thing. It could have been on both sides of this coin that we're talking about. It could have been something that you did, something you were responsible for, something that people would now look at you and say, because you did this, people over here are hurt for the rest of their lives. It could be that, that the issue is yours, that when you look down at who you are, you see crippled feet, whether it's emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually, something in you is lame. And so it causes this, this tension inside of you to rise up, to ask questions, to shake our fist at the sky, to shake our fist at somebody else, to ask the big questions of coulda, shoulda, woulda. And our culture is not nice. We almost lean into this principle and we, we talk to each other and perceive each other based upon, many times, the negative aspects of what we think about that person. Now, I would hope that this wouldn't happen, but I want you to imagine with me because this is what happened here. Ziba says, hey, there's a son of Jonathan. He's a crippled guy. The, the, the internal need to even communicate that. I mean, think about this. And again, this is where I, I don't want to be crass, but I want to be real. What if we identified each other and introduced each other based upon our, our issue? I mean, how, how would you feel about me if I see you in a restaurant and I'm having lunch with some friends and I say, hey, come over here. I want you to meet, meet, meet this guy. His name is Bob. And Bob here got an issue. And you just lay it out. What if, what if we said, hey, this is my friend, and he's a he's been married several times. This is my friend, he just he's got a rehab. 
This is my friend. He just filed bankruptcy. What, 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 what if we led with each other the introduction was based upon the issue? There is something in, in the human condition that wants to point the finger. And I'm not just talking from the outside. You and I are our worst critics. Oftentimes we're walking around day after day after day. I'm not, I'm not a good enough worker. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not a good enough this or that. And by the end of the day, you are completely beat up psychologically from your own thought life. And this, is, this, this proves it. Hey, there's a son of Jonathan. He's a crippled guy. We want to label it. We want to identify it. Now watch what happens in verse 4. He's, he's in this community. David said, where is he? I want to know. And so I want to pause there for just a minute and speak to you as a, as a pastor and speak to you directly spiritually because some of you right now may have tussled and wrestled with this internal tension of guilt or shame or embarrassment based over your crippledness. But there's a king looking for you. And just like King David was looking for Mephibosheth, there is still a king of kings and a lord of lords in hot pursuit of your life. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible, the entire canon from Genesis to Revelation is nothing but an, a, a conclusive story of God chasing you down. Running after you, a king on the hunt for you. And David said, where's he at? Because I'm about to put some energy to this. I'm going to find him. I'm going to search high and low. I'm going to put a team together. We're going to put a rescue mission in place. And Ziba says this, he's in Lodabar. Now, if you've ever done a Bible study on this, you know where I'm going because this thing is the most beautiful setup for a preacher. Lodabar, by definition, means this, no pasture. No pasture. Okay, so break that down. No provision, no sustenance. Dry, barren, wilderness, whatever synonym you want to throw in there. That's where he's living. How ironic. Somebody who's hurt, crippled, now living in desolation, in dryness, a place where there is no sustenance, no life energy, no, no source, just coasting. You know what I'm talking about? Just surviving. It's like you get up, you go through the things, you, you end your, your, your day, and you're just doing it over and over and over again, and there's no zeal, and there's no life. Why? Because you're crippled. You're lame. And everything in your life revolves around that. you got to have the help of other people continually. There is no independence for you. This is where he's at. This is where he's living. And so David says, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to pull you out of lack. I'm going to pull you out of desolation. And in verse 7, 
they get together. Mephibosheth shows up. He's a little scared. And here's why. Because again, culturally, David could have killed the entire line of Saul. By bloodline, David should not have been king. It should be someone in Jonathan's line. He could have killed him. That's why he said, hey, fear not. I'm going to be kind to you. And he goes on. He says, hey, I'm going to give you all the land that belonged to Saul. Suddenly, Mephibosheth is rich. But that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on is the best statement he could have ever said to him. And it, 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 it was this. You're always going to have a seat at my table. The king's table. What? The king's table was something to covet. It had the best food. It had the upper echelon, the most intellectual people, the best strategists, the best minds sat around this table. And now Mephibosheth, for the rest of his life, has a seat. At the king's table. One thing I like about is I think about a table. When I add a layer of the king's table, it becomes even more impactful for me. Three things stick out to me really quick is this. There's provision that can be found there. Suddenly Mephibosheth is going to eat. And he's going to eat the best food available. They've saved, they've, they've served the king from the first fruit. He's got the greatest meal, the greatest spread. When we come to the king's table, there is life, there is food, there is energy source, there is, there is a way for us to refuel at the king's table. There's people there. Listen, when you've been in desolation, when you've been in isolation, some of you even may still fear, feel weird this morning coming to a church with people in it because you've been so isolated for the whole year. It's just awkward. Imagine being in low debar and now coming at the king's table and hearing things talked about that you haven't heard talked about ever. People. But I think the most powerful thing about the king's table for Mephibosheth is this. When you pull up a seat to the table, no one sees your crippled feet. The king's table provides some type of covering, some type of camouflage. Suddenly, the emphasis is not your issue. Now, we can bring our problems to the king's table, but it's not, it's not the, the thing that we're all talking about because when we're at the king's table, the king doesn't want to talk about your feet. He wants to catch up. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you remember about your father, Jonathan. What have you been doing all these years? Where, where are you? What do you want to do with your life? This beautiful conversation, I believe, would unfold night after night after night at the king's table. And it had nothing to do about him being crippled or dropped or his issue. And I'm going to encourage you with the same thing. When we fight to pull our feet up under the king's table, it doesn't matter what that little page in your book said about you. You can turn the chapter. You can move on. You can let guilt go. You can let shame go. You can let embarrassment go. You can rest at his table knowing that someone's not going to bring it up. Why? Because there's a covering there. 
Come on, are y'all with me this morning? There's something that is happening in your life. The transformation, the healing might be a process, but every conversation while you're there is going to be sweet. Provision, people, and problems come un- underneath. So, I believe that David, too, is speaking. Here's an example of him speaking out of his experience because he writes in Psalm 23, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And now David's doing it for Mephibosheth. I'm going to show you the kindness of God. David's saying, Hey, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have somebody hunt you down. I, I know what it's like to go to bed wondering if this will be your last night of sleep. I know what it's like to be a broken person. But I'm going to show you kindness. And you've always got a seat here. In verse 8, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but in verse 8, Mephibosheth can't take it. He can't take the kindness. I wish I had a whole, I could preach a whole message on this, and maybe I will sometime. Some of you cannot take kindness because you don't think that you, you, you deserve it in the same way that you can't really fathom being forgiven because you can't come up with a reason why you should be. And Mephibosheth is overwhelmed. So he says to him, how can you do this to a dead dog? such as I. That someone at the age of five dropped him. Between five and wherever this is in his timeline, those years somehow developed in him an identity where he said, you know what you are, Mephibosheth? You're a dead dog. An undeserving dog. You don't deserve to eat. You don't deserve friends. You don't deserve life. You don't deserve zeal. You don't deserve anything that this king could hand you. And you may be here today with that same struggle as you look at the king of kings and all that your life can be and all that he's offering and all that he's extending. You go, I can't do that. Look at me. I'm a dog. I mean, you can roll out the laundry list of stuff you've done to justify your position. But you got a seat at the table because he's going to show you kindness. All right? Let me jump to 1 Corinthians. There's another table being set. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. But you'll, you'll, you'll get the, the gist of it. In verse 11, I'm going to read 23 through 25. Paul says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. And he said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he takes bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, let me pause for a second. We've made this phrase, this do in remembrance of me, something that's so liturgical and sacred, and that's that's wonderful. I don't want to steal that from you. But I do want to break it down into more modern language. He's, he's saying this. He's breaking the bread. And he says, when you do this, I want you to think about me. Anytime in the future, when you, when, you, when you do this together, and I want you to do this together, I want you to think about me. And he breaks 
the bread. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, I believe this is what he's saying. He is symbolizing what's going to happen to him. And he breaks the bread. He says, this is my body and it's for you. This is why I think this is so important. Because this king wanted to show, I'm not just going to sit at this table and ask you about your fall, asking you about who dropped you, asking you about your issue, and me try to empathize with that. I'm not going to just tell you, you know, that's, I'm really sorry, and I'm sorry this happened. No. He's saying, what I'm going to do is roll my sleeves up and get down into the trenches with you, and I'm going to let myself be broken, and I'm going to bleed My lips are going to quiver from pain, and I'm going to do that so that I can tell you every time throughout your entire lifespan and every generation that follows you that I know what you're going through. I understand. I understand what it's like to be hurt and rejected and lied about and dropped I understand. I know. So every time we struggle and every time we say, I don't know why this is happening. Every time we say, my life would be so much different if. He's saying, I know. I know. He was broken for us. And so he's prepared this seat at at the table. He's joined us in our brokenness. And there's a reason. I want you to get out, out your little cup of communion and I want you to go ahead and open it up, okay? We're going to go ahead and make all the noise together and do it. I'm going to forewarn you, these, this is the worst communion you're ever going to have. But you know, the cross wasn't good either, and so we're just going to join him in suffering. Just get it out and hold it in, 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 in your hand. The reason the bread was broken, the reason he says the blood is the new covenant is because he wanted to set it straight that God was not separated from us. That there was not, not going to be a veil, there wasn't going to be an ark to contain him. He wasn't going to be hidden behind time and space. But he was going to join in our brokenness. And at this table that he was preparing for these, this first group of people was another king inviting us to join him in our brokenness, in our weakness. Just like Mephibosheth was grafted into the king's family, so you and I are grafted in to the new covenant. In this text that I've read today, there were three reflective questions. And the reason I'm going to share them in 60 seconds is because I want this to be a reflective time. Some of you right now today have lived your life based upon an issue, a label somebody gave you, maybe yourself. In David's reflection, he says, who can I show the kindness of God to? And that's the question some of you need, need to ask today. My life is so blessed and has so much favor on it. Who can I show the kindness of God to? As I take on the symbolism of kindness, who can I turn that on? Mephibosheth says this, 
Who am I but a dog? With this incredible humility. And some of you need to reflect today on the fact that you think that you have no value. You're here today, you think your story's too bad, too overwhelming. God can't possibly use you. You need to reflect on the kindness of God. As Jesus is breaking bread and passing the cup, he says to them, one of you is going to betray me. And these disciples ask themselves a question. They say, Lord, is it me? Is it me? I think this is such a great reflective question to talk to the Father about. Lord, is there, is there anything in me? I think this is why Paul says, you better check yourself before you take this. He, he goes further to say, because if, if you drink it unchecked, you're drinking judgment to yourself. I believe his point there is, is just to say, we take it with honor. We take it in thought of him. We take it from a place of humility. And we take it from this place of just checking, God, don't let there be anything in my life that doesn't line up with both the brokenness that you displayed and the kindness that you gave. I want to pray over this cup today, this bread. Father, I love you. I thank you.